Like everybody else, last week we were snowed out here in the Lions 24-7 podcast, but we are back better than ever. Week of spring ball under our belts, big recruiting day, some NIT talk coming up. Andrew and Sean here, as always, and I feel like the break was probably a good one for us. We're going to spin this as a positive. Yeah, it was great. I mean, minus the five inches of snow that was here for a day and then gone, and uh, it's March, so it kind of is angering from that aspect of it, but hey, football's back. And you know what? During that time, I got to listen to our last episode and I'm going to, because I know I led last time with a critique of you saying what not, which was not my critique. It was our good producer's one. Right. Uh, we got a little self-involved there at the beginning. So I would like to cut that down because we know not everyone in our audience is you know that into foreplay of these episodes. They want to get right into it. So why don't we do just that? <laughs> Let's... Right into it. Right into it. Okay. You had an excellent piece on Friday, S-Zone. It's been a classic staple of the site for years. ton of good info, and it got into spring ball. However, again, that was Friday. People have an opportunity to read into that. We'll hear about who's surprising early on on the team. Recruits are in town Saturday, Sunday. Let's get into that. Yeah, the big thing that we wanted to get into was the junior day for the weekend. Penn State had about 30 guys on campus. Uh, roughly uh, 10 of them or so had scholarship offers. Pretty good hit rate. Um, you know, some local guys mixed in there as well. But a uh, good group, really. And uh, Penn State, you know, had the one big junior day in February and, you know, kind of took some time off getting guys on campus. Now that spring practice has come around, this is probably going to be their biggest gathering until uh, the Blue-White game next month. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're going to have guys on campus throughout the week uh, we've already you know had, had a couple of guys in this week that we reported and and, and more coming but uh, yeah I mean it, it was a big gathering uh, headline in, in my opinion by two of the top quarterbacks on their board uh, Tyson Fomachon from uh, from Connecticut got to give you some props immediately for just diving into that I would have said Garrett Schrader sounded solid first and then Garrett Tyson. Schrader and the other guy yeah, yeah. No, T-Dog uh, well the thing about Schrader he's still on campus as we speak um, on, on Monday afternoon so that's a good thing. He's Sunday, Monday visit. And that uh, we'll start with Schrader. Um, this guy that Penn State uh, identified very early, very connected to Joe Moorhead, Mississippi State in his top two. I think South Carolina's there as well. But, you know, th- this visit right now as he's on campus is, is really Penn State's, I'd say, last shot to, to, to sort of get him back into the wow. feeling that he had in, in, in the fall. And, uh, you know, he he really liked the idea of playing for Joe Moorhead, that a coaching change uh, happened. I think he was on the verge of committing to Penn State in the fall but uh you know things happen he wants to see other schools south carolina's local mississippi state's there right. was at west virginia over the weekend florida so th- there's still a bunch of schools involved but penn state being as far as it is from charlotte uh it- it's going to be a tough sell so if they manage to do that over this two this two-day visit i mean that they can get right back into the picture but uh, it's-, it's certainly been an uphill battle since joe moore had left and tyson obviously not a terrible second option even if you would categorize him as that yeah i mean they'll take either one of them and be perfectly happy they right. got a pretty good one in Taquan Roberson as well from New Jersey mm-hmm. already but you're looking for two quarterbacks in this class uh, Tyson was in saw I believe Florida Florida State Georgia last week so tail end of a trip coming back uh, to Connecticut stopped off at Penn State they had him on campus for camp last year had him back for a game last year offered in the offseason so um, it, it, it's one of those things I mean it, it's tough to sell a two quarterback class to two top guys so you've got Roberson who, who you know is a three-star guy but a, a lot of people like him I know that a lot of college staffs actually 
actually probably have him rated rated higher than you know the the star system or whatnot. So, um, but uh, there's my whatnot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, counter has one. Yeah. But you know what? I will ask as I always do. Where was Tyson heading back to? Where is he from? He's from Connecticut. Okay, very the good. The Callahan effect got him back on campus. Now we both uh, have a black mark on this episode. Right. Right. There we go. Um, it's no, a merit, if you will. <laughs> but but Penn State got another chance to get him on campus, and Florida State leads the crystal ball right now. But a, a, another good impression on him. And I think when it comes down to it, you know, he's going to take some more of these these visits, especially the official visits being in the spring as they are, um, you know, with the rule change. But, uh, you know, distance becomes an issue for kids the further you get into the process. And, and there's right. some kids where it doesn't matter at all and it never comes back. But typically your class is going to come from that six hour radius, Connecticut in that six hour radius. So, uh, you know, Penn State has the advantage over those southeast schools, uh, namely Florida State as well. So, um, you know, anytime you can get him back to campus and you're recruiting a teammate, Marquise Wilson, you're recruiting Tyler Rudolph, who's also in there. 2020 uh, defensive tackle Trey Williams has been on campus a, a few times as well. So you, you sort of got to get those guys back in bulk. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Marquise Wilson, by the way, was was in State College this weekend, did not stop by campus. He, huh. he took part in the Tom Lemming photo shoot, uh, which, you know, I, kids have done this before, but it just it just didn't register very well. Took part in the photo shoot in State College and then turned around and drive home, drove home, didn't go to practice or anything. Still have my crystal ball in at Penn State. It's just one of those weird things in recruiting. So uh, th- that was a notable visitor that wasn't actually a visitor. So You crazy. mentioned names in bulk this weekend. Also individual bulk. A lot of big linemen, which I know, you know, for the most part, I'm handling kind of the grunt work who they offered, putting it up on the site, looking up these guys. Most recently, uh, Salim Worley, offensive guard of Delaware, top prospect there, Ja'Kai Moore, who's been here now a second time. These are some big bodies they're bringing in up front. Huge guys. And Wormley was so big, he got two articles from us this weekend. He did. Uh, yes. Um, but no, I mean, it was uh, a lot of beef on campus this weekend. Uh, Salim Wormley from Delaware. The thing about Delaware kids, he, he's listed at 6'3", six, 6'4", six, whatever. But in Delaware, if you're listed at 6'3", or 6'4", Chris Every- Godwin was listed at 6'3". Everything is bigger in Texas. Everything is a little bit smaller in Delaware. Yeah, so you, you want to get a set of eyes on him. You want to see if he's actually 6'3", six, 6'4", six, or whatever. And, and the size checked out this weekend, and that's why Penn State offered. But it's one of those things where the closer you are to Penn State, and you know that they, they want to do their due diligence and get you on campus, see you, um, see if the the size checks out. His size, uh, his size checked out, and Penn State offered on the spot. I think Penn State uh, is in a good spot there because this is one that he's been waiting on. He's got Notre Dame offer. He's got a, a ton of other offers uh, this spring as well. But you know, Penn State has done extremely well in Delaware. Um, you know, obviously some household names have come out of there: Chris Godwin, yeah. you know, Kyle Carter, uh, and, and, and many others. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where Penn State's been really hard to beat in Delaware. And if they put the uh, the pressure on uh, on Wormley, I mean, you, you never know how this thing is going to go. But you, you got to like Penn State's chances right now. They're also hard to beat in Harrisburg. That's a little bit you know a little bit more natural and understandable. Andre White here. Andre White uh, made the trip this weekend. He was originally supposed to be here, then not. And then he was going to come next week. But yeah, he he got here. I mean, I don't want to say the writing is on the wall, but you have to love Penn State's chances here. Micah Parsons is here uh, an hour and a half down the road. He can make the trip whenever he wants. Uh, it's a kid that's going gonna, gonna to emerge and do, I think, a big-time linebacker prospect. We have him rated as a high three-star right now. Went out to San Francisco and won the Bay Area Nike Regional um, MVP. He's going to do the Nike camp in Jersey as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if Penn State's looking for linebackers, and he, I think he's probably going to end up being one of those in the class. Uh, 
six two and a half, six three, two twenty, two twenty five, somewhere in there. So legit size uh, can move. He's got good tape. So uh, this is a guy that you know I think Penn State is not settled on, but he they've rated him ahead of some of those other guys, Keith McGuire, uh, Kai Wright out at, at Farrell, and se- several other guys in the region. They've they've rated him above him. They've made him a priority, and you know he's starting to catch up. You got the USC offer. You got some other offers uh, this spring as well. Yeah. So it's it's been fascinating to watch him sort of blossom because Penn State I think was his third or fourth offer or something like that behind some smaller regional schools so um, it's been it's been pretty cool to watch uh, I think he's got a high ceiling as a player and Penn State after outside linebackers not so much after true Mike's and we've talked about this yes. a lot I mean it, Penn State is not going to pigeonhole itself into taking a guy that's just going to take them just going to play in the middle um, you, you've got guys all over the place you took Jesse Lukita you took Nick Tarburton and of course Micah Parsons is playing Mike now mm-hmm. so I mean that's where the priority lies and I think Andre White fits into that uh, fits into that category last couple names to know that are most important from the weekend I think uh, Nick Cross. I think Penn State, uh, the safety from DeMatha was up for his first trip. I think Penn State may have helped themselves with Cross more than anybody this weekend. And that's not to say that they're in the lead right now or, you know, they're definitely going to get him or anything like that. But Cross hadn't been on campus, hadn't showed them a ton of interest, but got him up on Saturday. He liked what he saw. Um, situation, and I've, I've mentioned this on the boards uh, several times, similar to Jason Awe last year. Mm. The kid wants to play big-time football. His parents could could not care less about big time football. They want big time academics. That's why you're going to see Notre Dame in there. You're going to see some other schools. Um, but uh, high academic kid, uh, you know, it fits the profile of what Penn State looks to recruit. And you know, if they can sell the parents enough on the academics, sell the kid enough on on the um, the football aspect of it, and sell Marcus Allen and Troy Apke. I mean, the, the spring that those guys have had have people talking about Penn State safeties more than they have in, in a long time. So um, I think Penn State really helped themselves with Nick Cross and and uh, we. We skipped over a couple of linemen earlier. Uh, Ja'Kai Moore was on campus for the second time, as you mentioned, this offseason. Um, you know, he, I, I'm looking at him as a guy that, you know, you could potentially look for a crystal ball pick for, for, for Penn State in this. I think Brian Doan already has his in. Um, so another big guy, guard, tackle uh, type guy. And uh, I'm going to mess his name up. Uh, EJ Nadoma Ogar. Uh, that would have been my guess for whatever tiny amount that's worth. I appreciate that because I'm not confident in that at all. Um, but he was up from Texas. That was a surprise late last week, as we reported, um, to, to, to get another offensive lineman, offered offensive lineman from Texas uh, into town. Um, you know, it just shows some of the reach that they've had. And, you know, he's got a connection here or there to Penn State. But uh, to, to get some of these guys from out of the region on campus, and I think you'll start to see that more and more um, with the, the officials coming up. But to get him here on his own dime, I think, is, is, is something that's very positive for Penn State. Speaking of Texas. Okay. Kids were on campus. Now, Trent Gordon cracked your S zone as impressing. You love him. You love him. I mean, him. I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but <clears throat> I called that. Um, <laughs> he's doing well, but he was one of a number of names. I'd say probably a dozen you had on there that are either impressing, you know, maybe not to the point of cracking it too deep, but outperforming what the expectations were for them coming in. And even though Michael Mennett was the favorite coming in, he seems to outperform the expectations put before him this spring so far. Yeah, and, and there's always that caveat. I mean, when I put these out, they had, what, two practices, two unpadded practices yes. in. So a lot of that is going off the, the premonition of what they did in the offseason, rolling it into putting the pads on on Saturday. Um, but Michael Mennett, I, I think, you know, has got to be considered the odds-on favorite for that right guard spot. He's going to get a challenge from C.J. Thorpe, but Mennett right now a little bit more advanced in pass protection. He's got a little bit more experience. 
and you know I think everybody's sort of been waiting for him not not so much for the light to come on but for him to take over and, and, and live up to that pedigree uh, amazingly talented kid athletic kid um, but yeah I mean I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what not just the both of them but but what Menek can bring uh, in particular other spots in the offensive side because obviously defense is where the question marks lie heading into this season slot receiver Deshaun Hamilton's gone you mentioned both Brandon Polk and KJ Hamler to me looking into this a little bit more than you would from what you simply reported the fact that KJ Hamler registered higher than Polk tells me the expectation of the surprise there is a little bit higher now for him. yeah I mean anybody that watched KJ Hamler's tape loved him I mean this is a kid that could move around like crazy before he hurt the knee so if he can regain that form and get back that shiftiness that he had before the injury that could go a long way in in, in seeing him play this year um, Polk uh, is a guy that has played football here as James Franklin said it's just one of the funny uh, inside jokes right. we've got but um, no I mean Polk uh, he, he earned some praise from James Franklin in the spring press conference um, he's he's been a guy that's made tough tough catches before and, and you're not going to get that level of production from the slot like you got with Deshaun Hamilton I don't think anyone's discussing that it was much similar to Chris Godwin last year I mean nobody no one guy is going to step in and replace Deshaun Hamilton Polk gives you a little something different KJ Hamler you know although those two are, are built similar is a little bit different than Polk Polk's you know a lot faster than Hamler Hamler's a little bit shiftier I think we'll see him as a punt returner as well mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean it's uh, if you can get those guys to sort of uh, soften the blow of Hamilton leaving. I mean, you're you're in a good spot. So I, I like those two. I'm really interested to see what those two can do, especially in the blue white game. I mean, you split those two up, put them on separate teams, and I think they could each probably lead the team in receiving in the blue white game. And we just finished talking about the offensive line, which James has said you know they're entering this season for the first time with a legitimate two deep since his arrival, which of course tied to the sanctions. But I look at the slot position now also in somewhat of a similar vein. It doesn't have you know the, the history of, of just being bogged down, but you look at Dave Sean Hamilton last year, clear-cut starter at that position, right? right? Brandon Polk got you know a handful of snaps every single game, didn't see K.J. Hamler, obviously. But now with these two, there's the potential there where I think you feel better about your depth than you might have a year ago, despite Deshaun Hamilton, where, of course, you know he's been an Ironman his entire career. You're going to be able to count on him. But let's say something had happened. It's a question mark with Brandon Polk with that stage going in. Now with him with an extra year, and if K.J. Hamler, again, is living up to these expectations, not only the beginning of spring, but the middle, and, and then, of course, through the summer— then you could feel really good about that, which is going to be key because of the question marks at tight end and the receiving ability of those running backs. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think when you look at uh, how you just broke that down, you've got question marks depth-wise at X uh, behind uh, Juwan Johnson. And DeAndre Tompkins is out there at Z with maybe Matt Capenhammer behind them. You don't have to move Tompkins to the slot to, to make up for that. And and I think that goes about as far as it can go from when we're talking about putting yeah. the slot guys and making an impact on the depth chart. So, I, you know, I look at the receiver depth chart right now. And, of course, Justin Shorter is going to come come in this summer. But, I mean, there's, there's not a ton of proven depth behind some of those guys. And I think if you can get that out of your slot guys, it, it will go a long way. Right. Yeah, I think Justin Shorter, you know, even not having seen him take a snap, but obviously the pedigree he brings in as a five-star and the fact that there's really no one else available right. to play that X where you're so dependent. Typically a bigger body, not enough to play tight end, as some have suggested, No, uh, for no, Juwan no, Johnson. No, 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 but, no. you know, should he, again, something unfortunate happen to Juwan, he goes down. I think Justin Shorter will prove himself quickly capable of backup. Yeah, and you've and got... he's the only, only body type, really. They've hit, they've right. Hit, you've got Cam Sullivan Brown playing behind Juwan Johnson, and he's, you know, he's, he's uh, well put together... 
and everything, but he's just not the same body type. He's not going to win those balls that Johnson does, and, and we expect Shorter to eventually win. So right. um, the depth is a question right now. I think it'll get better in the summer. But, uh, yeah, there's there are definite questions there. Definite questions at defensive tackle. I was going to say, these two names are the ones that stuck out most to me. Yeah, yeah. You wrote about defensive tackles last week, and it's obviously going to be an issue. Even when those new guys arrive on campus, P.J. Mustafer is getting in in the summer. You look at that guy, that him as a potential contributor, Judge Culpepper coming in as well. He's gotten a lot bigger, um, you know, from what we're hearing. But Antonio Shelton is is the guy that we've talked about in the offseason as someone that puts it together in the weight room has trouble transferring that to the practice field. And that's something that we've heard from coaches and, and, and sources alike. But, you know, he's up over 310 pounds now. Uh, you know, how does that help him? He can move in, play the one tech behind Rob Windsor. Of course, you got Fred Hansard there. He, uh, Shelton can play the three technique as well. But if if he can put it together, and I think I had him on uh, my top 10 guys to watch for the spring, mm-hmm. if he can put it together, it can go a really, really, really long way. Um, I don't know that he's there yet, but, uh, you know, if he can, if he can get that done he's okay you wrote last week what five defensive tackles six defensive tackles. Emmanuel Ike was added back to the roster um you know the former mm-hmm. walk-on or former marine that uh you know is uh it was a walk-on here I think he's older than you young he's still younger than me thank god I think so um but yeah I mean just for depth purposes it, it I mean there's a there's a lot of question marks well, at well here's where that piece started right so James is at the beginning of his spring press conference haven't seen him in a month haven't heard from him in a month and he goes through the position changes we know about Lamont Wade, a couple of others flying under the radar. And the last one is Hunter Kelly this spring is going to play defensive tackle for us this spring. So, first of all, the he wording said this there. Spring twice? He did. Wow. And I highlighted that in the piece because to me that says there's potential here that it's just temporary. Like he'll switch back to the offensive line when they're a little bit healthier because, of course, Ellison Jordan is out with that broken kneecap. Right. Now, last time we saw Ellison Jordan, wasn't wearing the large brace that he was carrying around. Got a large um, scar. Max out. Yeah, <laughs> got a big time scar. But the, the depth there is in a real bad place. And you think about, okay, the safeties, you know, and I won't go through my entire piece here. Safety's a concern. Middle linebackers are concerned. You've got seven candidates potentially for that middle linebacker job and a five-star kid walking in who, you know, is getting a real chance there. I would bet on one of those seven to stick. And once they pick out a middle linebacker, Jason Gabinda played at least 85 to 90% of the snaps in the last three years when he was healthy. So you, you pick one guy, you stick with him. And when it comes to safety, you've got two guys in the roster who played at least 20% of the snaps a year ago, albeit mostly in garbage time, and Aaron Monroe and Nick Scott. Throw in Lamont Wade, who obviously has a good shot because you wouldn't put him there if you didn't. Um, and then Garrett Taylor or Jonathan Sutherland. So those two spots, linebacker and safety, I would have to feel better about than defensive tackle, where let's say, again, worst case scenario, Shelton doesn't put it together or even worse gets hurt, you're really hurting because then you just have the redshirt freshman available, Damian Barber, who's behind schedule because he arrived late last summer and just changed positions. Fred Hanser has been dealing with injury available now. Also, the only guy listed, which might not be accurate as of the moment of this recording, but that was a month ago, listed over 300 pounds. Right. Now, they move their tackles. Ones will play the three. Threes will play the ones here and there. Sometimes we'll have to switch and rotate. But you need to get bodies in there because even Curtis and Parker Cothern didn't play half the snaps of the entire defense a year ago. So you need that depth more, there more than anywhere else. Yeah, we, what do you say? A two and a half deep or something like that? Five, At least five guys to roll through there. I'm interested to see what Hansard can do. He got some, some praise as well, um, you know, just coming off. I, I think that they're trying to push these guys along. And, and realistically, I mean— 
any other year, you're not looking for redshirt freshmen to step in and be no. a guy right away. We saw it with Austin Johnson. I mean, it was that. that and Mustafer, too, I think now. I yeah. mean, we, we did this probably a couple months ago, right? Like, who was the best shot among the signees to see playing time? Yeah. Uh, if he's not in your top five, I don't know what you're doing now. Yeah. Maybe true. even top three. That's true. Yeah. So so we'll see if Hanser could come along. Corey Bowles is there as well, but we haven't really seen anything from him. So uh, plenty of question marks there. Uh, moving out to the end, a guy that we thought might eventually be a defensive tackle, Daniel Joseph. Still at, still at end. I don't see that changing anytime soon, but it's funny. We talk about those reserve defensive ends, Shane Simmons, Yitor Gross-Mattel, Shaka Tony. Daniel Joseph has had a pretty good offseason. He's, he's looking to solidify his space or solidify his spot, I guess, in that three deep. Mm-hmm. And, and given the amount of talent, the amount of depth they have at defensive end, they're going to move a lot of those guys around and play them, play, play them a lot. Yeah, and he was a guy, too, which, to be honest, I don't know how frequently this happens. I'm sure it's more than you might expect, but I remember James mentioning that he had a meeting with Daniel and his parents somewhere late in the season where it became apparent you're not really a part of this rotation. Like Shaka Tony and Shane Simmons are getting those snaps. Idro Gosmatos and kind of leapt ahead despite being a year younger. And, you know, might be to the point of, listen, like, this is what the future's probably going to look like, you know, unless there's a major change. Obviously, you play a role in that and your ability and your work behind the scenes, but this is the kind of competition. So for him to make those strides is obviously a benefit for Penn State, but you've got to feel good for a kid like that where faced with his first opportunity to play, doesn't, and still kind of persists and pushes through and might get a shot. Yeah, man on a mission is how it was described to me as a guy that Daniel Joseph, or is how a guy like Daniel Joseph has approached this offseason. And you know what? He might be the sixth defensive end right now, so we may not see a ton of him. But I think... But that guy even still played yeah, you know, I mean, 15%, 20% of the snaps yeah, last you, year. You can, you can break him in and, and, and be one of those guys. And, you know, they took Jason Awe last year, obviously took Mike, Micah Parsons, uh, you know, as well as a potential defensive end, but you're not going to play him at defensive end right now. So you, you've got a shot, and that... I guess redshirt freshman, sophomore to be class is, is a pretty good one. Yeah. So. One last note here um, before we turn and look ahead about what we think the next update from spring ball is going to be. I know the suggestion gets put out there a lot because technically he does play defensive tackle on third down. Ryan Buckles is not moving full time to D tackle. He is a big six foot six, two hundred seventy pound, strong defensive end. I think in a pinch or an emergency situation, he'd obviously be more than willing. But his best skill set is to be that interior rusher on third downs or obvious passing situations. Like they've got the bodies that they had, they had the numbers problem that they do. I think they'll be more comfortable with Mustafer and the other guys, but he's not moving full time to D tackle. Okay. We'll go with that. I like it. You with me? Yeah, sure. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Soft shirt. <sure>. Thanks. <laughs> um, cool. All man. right. So, so next time we meet, and we'll obviously be talking about many of the same things. What's coming out of spring ball? What's the buzz? This is this is what I'm thinking projection wise. So let's do one good thing we'll hear, you, one bad thing, you and then can't one do predict the presser. So you're going to do this? Yeah, predict, you know, predict the gossip. All right. What's the next good news or bad news or no news that will come out? What do you think? You know, what was notable also about your post was what was absent from that. And that was any word on the safeties, which is understandable. It's the first week. There's a long way to go. I think the next time, though, you know, you or I check in about how things are going, you're going to hear some good things. And it could be Nick Scott. It could be Aaron Monroe, Lamont Wade, Jonathan Sutherland. I would bet on the latter two. They're younger. I think the ceiling there is a little bit higher. Um, we know Nick Scott, you know, is presumably going to be a captain in the leadership, and those things are all great. But, you know, defensively did not grade out well last year. I think you'll start to hear some rumblings about we don't have a starter, but things are looking better than we might have expected.
good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you can clear and go from six to four, and then you have a clearer picture of what that two deep looks like, right. and, and, and go from there. I do think Nick Scott's going to be a part of that. Um, whether you know whether it's Wade, he's played some uh, football at Penn State. He's played some football at Penn State. Yes, <laughs> um, Wade Sutherland, uh, Garrett Taylor's even in there as well. So you know, I think when they can chop that down, they, they've got options. That's the thing. They've got options. They've got athletes back there. It's just a. It's a. It's a very tall order to, you know, fill the shoes of two safeties that have played a lot of football. Were you going hell of a something? Did you stab yourself short of saying hell? Thought about it, but yeah, okay. it didn't go that direction. It's all right. I don't think it's going to get bleeped. You're, you're stretching for uh, for outtakes. I'm not. I was generally <laughs> curious because you were going in and then just like threw. It's a hell of a tall order to to go in and expect Marcus. You know, somebody to step right in for Marcus Allen. Someone to step right in for Troy Apke. And you know, although Apke just played basically one year, you're coming on the heels of another guy that just bit, just played one year. So that's two years of football. Most of the snaps out there. I think Apke had more snaps than Allen. He had year. more snaps than anybody. Also, to go back a second, the reason I might be quote may not be uh, fishing for outtakes end quote is. Because because we're going to have an outtakes episode at some point this summer. At some point. Which yeah. we've added to since. Barely. I mean, we're just really too good. I mean, that's the thing. Well, if you want to keep going hell of a tall of an order, we could... Hell of a tall order. Yeah. That's a, that's a word where I come from. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the good news... Oh, okay, so you're on board more so than my previous thing about Ryan Buckholz, the thing where he is. Safety, you expect good news as I do? I expect good news. Yeah, I okay. think I think progressive news. You know, going sure. from six to four or whatnot and, and getting there, uh, getting Lamont Wade and some more reps and new father. Congratulations. Uh, getting Lamont Wade more reps, getting John Sutherland more reps, and and getting Nick Scott. I mean, we talk we talk all the time about the veterans resting or whatnot. Nick Scott is a veteran. He's he's played a lot of football for Penn State, but he needs a lot of reps as well. Yes. Okay. So bad, bad news. news. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. No news might be bad news about the tight ends. Uh, you know, Nick Bowers limited. John Holland limited. Danny Dalton, uh, Zach Koontz, even Joe Arcangelo. Um, behind him i mean we just haven't seen much of the tight ends and we'll 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 see how that impacts the rest of the offense because i mean there's a big hole right there nobody knows who's going to step in for mike kosicki because you know the guys that we thought were going to step in aren't healthy yeah so this is the prediction next week we just continue to hear nothing about this i mean you know danny dalton received the most praise and you take this for with a grain of salt but the tweets after the winter workouts you know each position coach goes oh so-and-so was great today brought the attitude was you know that's because we don't project your whatever your your texts that you send me about Danny Dalton being wicked awesome you know in your- one joke you make in October second second month on the job about him being Gronk and uh, that was a wicked good touchdown catch in the corner I'm yeah. going to forget uh, but no so anyway Danny Dalton was the one who received the most praise out of this group you know he would be definitely I think highest to third that you would project to be on the depth chart heading into the spring you mentioned limited Bowers and, and Holland are this is not the same problem as defensive tackle right this is not a numbers issue this is a no clear option at this stage and Holland looked great in the blue-white game. Didn't see a whole lot of him during the season. That happens when Mike Kosicki's ahead of you. But when you did, it also wasn't totally impressive where you go... That's it. The guy's going to step in. The, the guy, I mean, I thought Bowers was that guy. You know, when he stepped yes. in, he looked like he belonged out there. Holland looked a little bit passive out there. So Bowers is the guy that I keep going back to. He just can't stay healthy. I mean, he has he been healthy for more than a couple weeks that we've seen so far? I, I don't know. So, I mean, it's been it's been tough to follow. Uh, opportunity is, is great there. You know, they love Zach Koontz, but, I mean, he came in at 230. But when you're six seven and a half, 230 doesn't go as far as, you know, as it would with, with say, a guy like John Holland. So, right. I mean, it's uh, 
plenty of questions there, but I, I, I don't think we're going to hear I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't think we're going to hear a ton about the tight ends this, uh, this spring or this off season. And you know, that's concerning. It is, uh, which leads into a mailback question. We're not going to skip the, the last point here because we've got an IT talk as well, but Pat Fryermuth, I mentioned it multiple times. We started with Massachusetts tight end. Why not end with one? Um, he's got a, a hell of a tall opportunity here to step in because I think he brings that size that you need to the position. We'll see how you do once you step on campus, but you know, if no one's standing out, then that means it's, it's truly open to whatever the competition unfolds. And right now, you know, no news is bad news. Now, what's something we'll hear that honestly could go either way? Um, I don't think until week one hits and that depth chart is finally out, we are going to stop hearing about Mike Parsons. I don't know right now whether this is going to be the continued buzz of he's very athletic, but it's raw, which is totally understandable. This is his first official week at that position at linebacker. Um, or it's, wow, he's made really big strides next week. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know how it's going to go because he's, he obviously came in with the pedigree that he had, but plenty to work on. And, you know, that, that that's something that you're not going to make up in a week of spring ball, no doubt. So um, plenty to work on, which we all expected coming in. Is he a linebacker? I guess we'll see. I mean, and, and I think that could go either way. I mean, you, you know what you've got in him as a pass rusher. So you, you put him at will on third down and let him attack the quarterback or something like that. I mean, that, that, that's your department. But, I mean, he can impact he can impact the game from anywhere. But I think his greatest impact could be at Mike, and we'll see what he has. And, and, and until we get some more definitive word on it, I, just, I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't either. And, you know, the funny part about that, too, is, okay, if you, if you, you know, train him at linebacker the entirety of spring and it doesn't work out or someone else merges, what do you do then? Because, sure, he's got the physical ability, but those skills surely rust a little bit, right, from a pass rush perspective. Like, do you, would you personally give him any reps there, even if it's at the tail end of practice, just to stay fresh? Or maybe, hopefully, he stays after practice on his own and works on those in the event it doesn't work out? Or are you just all chips in the middle? This linebacker thing has got to work out. Um, I'm all chips in the spring, but in the yeah. fall, I mean, you can you can definitely work around it in the fall. I don't know that he has to come from the traditional, you know, uh, the traditional defensive end spot to 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 wreak havoc off the edge. I mentioned moving him to Will, putting him at Sam, which is a little bit more freewheeling, and and having him come after the quarterback that could work. Um, I just I, I don't know. I mean, I I. I Go back to, you know, where your defense's biggest hole is, is right in the middle. That's where you put your best talent and see what happens. Ellis Brooks is still going to get a shot. Nick Tarbert is still going to get a shot. Jesse Lucada, uh, you know, moving well early in spring. He's going to get a shot. So, I mean, you've got options there. I don't. And they've talked about rotating bets in, like even Cole Farmer, who we're going to speak with on Wednesday. You know, whatever you might think of that chance, though, when you, the other competition or freshman, he might just look better than them for the simple sake of he's been in this defense for years. Right. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I just we're gonna get info on on linebackers. I mean, whether or not it's progressive yeah. info or anything like that, who knows? We'll see. We'll All right, see. cool. Now, do we keep tabs on this, or do we let these predictions kind of just go off into the wind and let everyone forget about them, or we hold on and, and see how right or wrong we were? Well, it depends if I'm right or anything because i'll remember that but if not i just i have no recollection of this segment already so speaking of no recollection basketball season's still here <laughs> um brackets just completely busted unless Trash. you feel unless you filled out an nit bracket with penn state you know in the final four of the nit which they are this week mississippi state the, hold on time out oh can you name the other two teams in the nit final four <laughs> utah and western kentucky that's because I put it in there. It's, was, a, it's in was, the pod rundown. I'm not looking at it. That was bad by me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Notre Dame's not. So That's correct. All right. Uh, Mississippi State, Penn State on Tuesday. What do you got? 
It's going to be a good game. You know, I think the week layoff will be a little bit different because I think one of the overlooked aspects of the NIT, which you could overlook the entire tournament, no one would blame you, but is the fact that these games are one after another. So Penn State plays Temple, quick turnaround for Notre Dame. They play at Notre Dame. A couple days later, you're flying all the way out and playing at Marquette. So it's a lot of travel. They're unknown sites, unknown teams, and you've just got to play your best brand of basketball. Penn State undoubtedly, even with Mike Watkins out right now, is doing that. The same, however, could be said for Mississippi State. This was one of the 30 worst three-point shooting teams in the country who in the last three games has suddenly discovered, hey, when you push the line back even further from the basket, we can suddenly hit from here. Is there, they've been, is there a Joe Moorhead joke in there? Uh, no, there's Joe, not. Joe but I will, I will continue to ramble and afford you time, and if when I'm done, you have it, fire away. I got um, They're 44% from downtown. They're long, they're fast, they're athletic. Ben Howland is a veteran coach, bounced around from Pitt to UCLA, and now, of course, in Mississippi State. So this is a team while you go, Penn State's playing its best basketball you know so is mississippi state and they've also dealt with that layoff will they continue to shoot as well from three as they have been who knows i think penn state's got to prepare for the worst that they will the other part though defensively is that throughout the course of the season and continuing on in the tournament they've been excellent at defending the three-point line and preventing you from getting free throws the three opponents so far which were all good teams first they beat nebraska who gave penn state problems this year um they went on the road and won at baylor this is where their hot three-point shooting came most into play one point win and then they beat uh let me see i had it down here a second ago louisville which was a 23-point blowout so each of those teams shot well below their average from three-point range, and a couple of them below 30%. They also got to the line on average six times a game. They had 12 free throws. So if Penn State's not going to get easy buckets and Chip Garner and Tony Carr are not going to hit from the outside, which, again, are big ups, they could be in some real trouble. I think it's going to be a close game. I would still favor Penn State here. Um, and as you said, winner gets either Western Kentucky or Utah on Thursday. Do, do any of these teams have a sister gene? <laughs> no. How awesome is she, though? She's amazing. You know what we're in the middle of? And I heard this from like a friend, and I saw this as a joke somewhere on Twitter. We're at the stage, though, where this you know wonderful, totally benign, happy thing has been kind of in the you know ether for long enough where people are starting to turn on her. Right. How dare you? Someone's digging up sister there. Sister Jean will yeah. be a saint huh. someday, at least within the college basketball world she is wonderful she's genuinely happy and she gave up losing for lent so good for her and she had the best well actually of all time i'm sure you saw this by now yes okay go on well okay so they approached her and was like you know so what's it like being a national star now after they made the sweet 16 she goes uh well if i could correct you international yeah hey i'm sure the pope's watching i mean that's that's crazy that's fantastic um Uh, she's great she's great i hope they win i I do do you have a joe moorhead joke no i got nothing the joe moorhead of basketball writes itself for the people that will get that but um that's really inside yeah it's very inside yeah baseball thursday by the way oh yeah already yeah all right great uh, mailbag today. Let's talk about that. Do you have nothing for me? No, nothing. Nothing. I mean, it's... It, Is Penn State going to win? How about let's let's cut it to that? Yes, Penn State will win on Tuesday. What about Thursday? Western Kentucky? I, I know you've been I watching have, them. No, I have to see how they match up with Western Kentucky or Utah, and then I'll get back to you via text. Okay. On, We're going to have an emergency pod. I hope you're ready. Wednesday night. <laughs> I'm sure that will have all the ratings. Yes. Yeah. All right. You said mailbag. Uh, three good questions. Um, let's lead off with the first. Which walk-ons have the best chance to earn a scholarship? 
That's interesting because Penn State is so tight as is, and they gave out some spring semester scholarships last year. I expect them to do it again this year. Um, but, I mean, just looking at the fall, the, the, there's so little space. We saw Colin Castagna said that he couldn't come back or he didn't come back because they couldn't promise him a scholarship. And, he, you know, he played some reps and he got some time on the field and, and hopefully he gets a future WWE contract out of it because uh, they were at Pro Day. But, I mean, the, there's just so little space. But there, there's a couple guys that I look to. Zach Simpson has been around for a while. Um, you know, he's your backup center. I mean, if, if Connor McGovern goes down, I think you see him snapping. And, you know, Penn State feels that he can handle himself in that situation. And, you know, if that's the he case. He did at Maryland yeah, last year. Yeah, he did at Maryland last year. And, you know, he's he's hung in there. And you can't say that about every, you know, walk-on offensive lineman that comes through the program. He's hung in there. He's carried himself. And he's in, and he's on that level with some of those scholarship guys. So Zach Simpson's a guy that I look to. Jan Johnson is a guy that, you know, is in that middle linebacker mix we didn't mention him earlier but he's in that middle linebacker mix uh he can long snap for you if you need him to um you know jabari butler came in with the the expectation that he could compete for a scholarship in his second year probably the sixth or seventh corner right now but at the same time i mean he's you know what next year though he'll be in the mix yeah. like amani is going to move on potential for john reed to do so treat castro field should step in zach mcpherson looks good but you know even as the fifth or sixth corner right now yeah like you know, he's got tools that you, you just can't teach. And, and, you know, the fifth corner played a little bit this year. So, you know, we could see him on the field as well. So there, there, there's potential guys there, and I'm sure I'm missing maybe one or two. Uh, I mentioned Joe Arcangelo a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you may see him a little bit at tight end, especially this spring. I think you'll definitely see him. So. Zach Simpson's the pick, though. I think, yeah, I think, Zach I think Simpson. he nailed it. Z- Simpson or, or Johnson. You know, James Franklin loves him some Jan Johnson. Outside of when Rich Garcella asked him about him, he mm-hmm. still loves Jan Johnson. And, and like I said, J- Johnson can step in, snap, play middle linebacker, he can do a lot of uh, things to help your team, and, and he's a good academic guy, a good guy to have around as well. So Glad yeah, you brought up Rich okay? because I would like this to spread. Mm-hmm. And this is more inside the beat, but I'm going to open the doors to everyone who listens to the podcast because, you know, right now, how many minutes are we in? We're at 36. You're at minute 36 with us. You deserve this, okay? Last summer, I bestowed a nickname that has stuck with Rich that is known among beat people. He is Uncle Rich. He is Uncle Rich. Uncle, yeah, exactly. Just not a head instant affirmation of what I'm saying. But yeah, he's Uncle Rich. So if you if you talk to him on Twitter, if you ever see him around, if you're from Berks County, just give him a hey, Uncle Rich. All right. And he'll know. Good. I think it's a perfect nickname. I believe he's the elder statesman on the beat. I'm not talking about age here, but probably years. Yeah, I think he and Couple Neil in competition. Are, yeah, are right there. So. Yeah. No, Uncle Rich. Great guy. We don't have a nickname for Neil. So, sorry, Neil, no, if you're listening. Working on that. Probably not. <laughs> what can we say about James Franklin, who tabbed Jonathan Thomas as a surprise player uh, last week in the spring um, uh, press conference? Jonathan Thomas, uh, grad student right now, or soon, soon to be. Um, he's out of Peabody, Mass. So, you know, good, good that's why I deferred there. to you on this one. Yeah. Um, man, he is huge. You know, you talked about WWE being in there and Colin Costagna possibly being the mix as he moves on from Penn State. You know, Jonathan Thomas, football does not work out for him. He is he is top five on this team in terms of would not want to see in an Allian State College and have that person be mad at me. Yes, I would like him on my side. And it's funny because, you know, we do these photo galleries and everything like that, and you see these guys pop up in the background, and, and Jonathan Thomas is always 
a guy that someone goes, who's that? Like, why? You yeah, know, he why? popped out. He yeah. does not pop he, up in the background. He, he, he is, pops out, yes. Yeah. But James Franklin mentioned him as a potential surprise contributor, and the, the opportunity is there with, with Barkley out of town, Andre Robinson transferring. Um, but you, you've got Miles, but you've got Mark Allen behind him, and, and I think Jonathan Thomas could, could factor in there. He's been hurt his or most of his career. He's, he got healthy Switch last, positions last two years. Yeah, he switched to linebacker, didn't work out. Um, but he's back there. He's a talented running back. I mean, that's the thing. The, the people forget how good he was coming out of high school. He had a great freshman year. Um, so they've seen the talent there. Uh, if you need a guy to step in and block, I mean, obviously we've talked about his physique. I mean, he can get in front of somebody and, and, and put him on the dirt. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see. I'm not convinced he's going to be a breakout guy or anything like that. He's got Journey Brown behind him as well. Um, but, yeah, he's a guy that can help your ball, t- or your ball club. He played special teams last year. Um, you know, he can get some carries. So we'll see what he can bring to the table. I'm not, not convinced he's going to be a breakout guy, but he can be a positive guy on your team. Yeah, he's listed at 5'11", 215. Would not be surprised if that was a little bit higher or ends up being higher. Um, but more to the point, you, you look at Miles Sanders, who obviously carry the load in the backfield. Behind him, Ricky Slade is going to be introduced, a true freshman. Journey Brown getting some action. And then Mark Allen. Jonathan Thomas is really the only guy you look to and go, A, could do short yardage. And B... Inevitably, when, as Miles Sanders experienced, some fumble issues for the likes of Slade or Journey Brown, or there's some miscue in pass protection, you've got a guy there who, again, will be going on his fifth year. And I don't know this for certain. We'll certainly ask around now soon. But ball carrying, where you just have that trust in a guy like him, right? Not only just strong, but if you can count on him to do the basics and get the yards that are afforded to him, even if he's not going to spin out of tackle or, you know, bull a ton of people over and get extra yards. If he can get what's there because the offensive line is going to be better and not lose the ball, that carries a lot of value and none more so than in a coach's eye. Also, if he three points the ball, you can't see it behind his arm because <laughs> it's so giant. But no, Thomas uh, Slade and Brown right now in my in my eyes, and and they'll you know develop. But situational guys right now, you know, home run hitters yeah. or whatnot. Slade, you know, is slight one eighty five, one ninety right now. Journey Brown, James Franklin talked about him as a, as a home run hitter, not a complete back yet. Mark Allen can step in there and block and do some things. So I I, I see Thomas as a similar guy that can step in, he can block. I don't know how he catches the ball out of the backfield because we right. haven't seen him be healthy long enough to do that. But power runner, fullback? Oh, stop. No, nah, right. no, no, not a fullback. Okay, third question. You're in the penalty but, box. But he can have a role. And this is a guy that I expect yeah. him to And a role on. that's different from the other guys, too, I think is a big part. You expect Jonathan Thomas to move on after last season. Did not do that coming back. We'll see what happens. I don't think he makes the, the Troy Apke or Malik Golden leap, uh, leap or anything like that. But he can be a positive guy for your ball club. So, all right. Third guy, um, Mike. Fullback. Fullback, yeah, I went there. Uh, Mike Kosicki's out, and there's no sign of Jonathan Holland so far. Could Penn State run more four wide receiver sets? It's possible. I mean, I I think they want to see what they have in tight end, uh, see if they can get an inline blocker, a guy that can move around. Uh, Obviously, Bowers is a guy that we pointed to that that can be that guy. can do both. Hasn't been that guy. Uh, Four wide receiver sets, you can do it. I mean, there's no rule against it. I mean, we, we didn't need to see a four wide receiver set with Mike Kosicki there because he was a pretty good wide receiver. He was a fourth wide receiver. He was a fourth wide receiver. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely possible. I think so. There are a couple reasons to have confidence in this, but again, it's going to depend on what they get out of those tight ends because I think if they're serviceable in any level, you don't have to do much different or make drastic changes from what you did a year ago. Now, it's important to know that the way the offense is installed and the way it's taught and really built is conceptually. So we'll talk about these, you know, it's a three wide receiver set, it's a four wide receiver set, they're in two back, whatever it might be. 
you know, the concepts carry over to each of those personnel packages. So like the, the X's and O's are the same. It's just a matter of where they are in the field, depending on the personnel. So when Penn State could go four wides, they're still going to run inside zone. Joe Moorhead did this at Fordham. Again, that's reason number one why you would have confidence that they can do this. Um, they've got the personnel to do so. If Brandon Polk and KJ Hamler are both tied, well, let's just play them both. Um, and then if the offensive line takes the strides that everyone expects them to, I think that would be probably maybe even more so than the, the tight end position that you have confidence that you can just put those five out there and they can take care of things. The issue that you get into is obviously you're a little bit more limited in the running game if you don't feel you have an advantage up front, which we have still yet to see. But their base running play is that split zone, where it's inside zone blocking up front. You know, who you block as an offensive lineman is predicated on how the defense aligns. You got one double team that then moves up to the second level. And the split part of it comes from when you see the tight end move at the snap directly across the formation and behind the line to block a purposely unblocked defensive end. So this amplifies the numbers advantage that Penn State is always seeking. If they don't have it in the running game, obviously they'll just tag it and throw it. But you get one of your worst blockers on a defensive lineman takes care of him. So when you remove the tight end, obviously he can't go over and do that. But if you have five with a read against six in the box, you still have a good numbers advantage there. The thing is, the split zone is the base of their entire offense. They could still do the inside zone without it, but when they get close to the goal line, I mean, everyone knows they're going to do it. They run it anyway, and they just bank on the fact that we've done this so many times, and we only need to get three feet or six feet or nine feet, um, that they'll get it in regardless. Yeah, I, I think the preference there is definitely to leave the tight end in, no doubt about it, but, I mean, given the, the, the talent that they have uh, you know, in other spots, you might have to take that chance and of course you've got the lion position right now again we hear yeah the line we hear so much too though about coaches who will say oh yeah we're going to base what we do based on our personnel this is a real test of that right i mean right. ricky ronnie has got you know the offense to himself he's called joe moorhead the greatest offensive coordinator in the country in his mind which has obviously been a tremendous influence in his career maybe he takes things out of his past where he played a little bit more pro style of cornell obviously ran it under james franklin and the stops that they've shared together but you know to me if you if your fourth wideout is that much better than your tight end, you can do some different things schematically to put him out there and still run the ball and be effective. Again, the, the read component is not going away from this offense. You've got a third-year quarterback, four-year starting offensive line coming back. Take advantage of that experience. You know the the veteran presence still across that offense, even at wideout with Tompkins and Juwan Johnson, and do what you like. Experiment. Yeah, I think, and, and that's one of the questions that I have going into the season is is can you change personnel groupings a little bit more? Are you more willing to do that because? Sticky was, you know, for all intents and purposes, a fourth receiver, a tight end. He could be pretty much anything you wanted. So can you change that during the drive? Can you, you know, take off a tight end and go four receivers? Are they more, not can you do it, because they obviously can do it, but are you more willing to do that? And right. I think that's going to be one of the big tests that, that Ricky Ronnie has to play around with, you know, his first couple of weeks on the job. Yeah, I think the offense will continue to be static because part of it is we're only going to show, you know, 10, 12 different formations. All of those are pretty much going to be out of the same personnel groupings, either 10 uh, or 11. And then when they jumped into two tight end sets. I mean, every year you probably heard me groan in the press box and then rip them on Monday for why are you doing this? You know, again, it's it's supposed to get an extra body in there, but if Jonathan Holland coming off the bench or whomever it was is not better than the linebacker coming into the box for the safety, like it's it's a net loss. So anyway, I I think it it will be interesting to see that. You can still just be primarily an 11 personnel or 10 personnel offense um, because when, when you stick to the 10 or 12 formations, you go during your week of preparation, we know how they're going to respond or at 
least, there will be one of three options because this is how they defended teams who either go two by two, two receivers to either side, three by one, and that's really all they do. So, you know, there, there's not going to be anything drastic as we talked about fullback as much as Jonathan Thomas wants to be there, which really, the way they use their tight end is, is effectively because he's primarily off the line about 80, 85% of the time. He's that second back anyway. Right. And as we just discussed, you know, they'll use him sometimes not in a split zone where he ducks across the entire formation, but he'll sneak in as kind of an insert or a lead zone um, or even for a wham block, which who normally has that you know responsibility, uh, an offensive lineman or a fullback. So get a tight end healthy is what you're saying. That would be an ideal scenario. Yeah, you could tell that I've enjoyed rambling and taking this on for an extra probably minute than it needed to be. But, you know, I think Ronnie will be willing. You, you've got the experience there. I don't think trying out new things is a detriment to this. You've obviously got to take care of your fundamentals. But now is the time to experiment, and uh, I think they will. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, we are done experimenting for this episode. I believe episode 56 of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thank you for sticking with us, listening to us, and rating us on iTunes, telling us, uh, telling our friends about you met some some listeners over the weekend. I yeah, think. I did. I was in D.C. and a friend of a friend, loyal listener, shout out um, to the trainer at Mercersburg Academy. Yeah. Um, My old stomping grounds. He told me two of his friends' names, and I don't remember which one it might have been. Steve and Mike, I'm sure it is. Yeah, John yeah. probably Steve. throw that in there. Dave. No, actually, one of the names is the last name. Oh, okay. Jones. No, it was like an O something. Again, I don't want to say it because I don't want to offend him and make him sound like a worse friend. But regardless, shout out to that guy who also got some uh, insider info because that's what happens when you know people, right? It's yeah. the basis of our entire job. It's the basis of the tailgate. Though. More important question, are we any closer to finding Mr. Five Four Star? <laughs> One guy who was giving us just the, hey, you guys are okay rating, which is totally understandable. But when you're the one guy it's not out of like totally the 250, it's, 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 it's infuriating. Everyone has their opinions. Yeah, that you see our Facebook page? Uh, yes. <laughs> we see all the Facebook pages. Yes. Anyway. No, uh, no we're no clo- no closer to tracking him down. He's more than wel- more than welcome to uh, you know tweet at the Lions 24-7 podcast account. Show yourself. Tell, show, show yourself, yes. We won't we won't do anything no. too drastic. Yeah. So That's fair. All right. Maybe we'll say that for the summer when we've got a lot more projects mm-hmm. coming up. Be a hell of an outtake. Including the outtakes episode. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. This is Andrew Callahan. As always, should be back probably next week, something like that, depending on whether or not we get any more March snow, I guess. Yeah. Or April snow, I guess. Sounds great to me. All right. Thanks for joining us.